brought your Bible. I hope you'll open it with me to Luke chapter 18. And let me read you um, out of it a, a parable which I bet you've heard before. It's a famous one. Beginning at verse 9. Luke chapter 18 at verse 9. You follow as I read. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. I want to start this morning with some books. Uh, I'm not asking you to read them, I just want to show them to you. Here's one that was written by John Piper. Title is The Future of Justification. Here's one written by R.C. Sproul entitled Getting the Gospel Right. Here's one by James R. James R. White. Uh, the title The God Who Justifies. Now, all three of these books were written relatively recently, uh, in the last three years, and they're all about the same thing. All three of these books are covering the same issue. The same doctrine. They're all about the doctrine of justification by faith. Now, there are others that I, that I have not read and, uh, but there, I could, uh, they've reprinted a masterpiece by Turretin, an old, I think a 16th century saying, on justification. Why all these books all of a sudden on the doctrine of justification by faith? Here's the reason. Because the doctrine of justification by faith is being attacked from a lot of different angles, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it, um, if you've gone through our new members class, uh, if you haven't, we're having another one on the 19th of April. But if you've, if you've gone through our new members class, you remember that there's this, there's this little film segment that I show you. It's like eight minutes long. You remember it? You remember it? I was on this panel. It was back. It was filmed back in 1988, I think, when I was thin and had more hair. I'm going to stop showing that thing just because it makes me look so bad. But, um, but anyway, it was filmed in '88, and um, I was on this panel on this uh, TV show, and and you remember uh, the, this issue came up, and and my I answered the question by saying something about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And another man on the panel, do you remember seeing this? Another man on the panel said, he leaned over and he said, 
you believe in that doctrine of justification by faith alone? And I said, yes, I do. He said, well, if you can prove to me that doctrine of justification by faith alone, I'll eat this book. (laughs) Don't you remember that? (laughs) Well, this book and this book are both designed to address that attack on justification by faith. Oh, but there are other attacks. Um, things like NPP. Never heard of that one, have you? Or FV. <laughs> Ever heard of either one of those? Well, this book by John Piper is written to address those. All I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is under attack. <laughs> now, the second thing I want to do is is offer a definition. When you're talking about the doctrine of justification by faith, which we are for these four weeks leading to um, Easter, when you're talking about the doctrine of justification by faith, you're talking about the gospel. Consequently, you see a title like this, Getting the Gospel Right. This is R.C.'s book, where I stole this title for my little series. Um, In this book, he's talking about the doctrine of justification by faith. He's talking about getting the gospel right. Gang, when you're talking about justification by faith, you're talking about the gospel. Don't forget that. Those those are almost interchangeable words. Now, one other thing, and then we'll try to move on, but I, I think it was Augustine who gets credit for this little aphorism. Do you know what an aphorism is? An aphorism is nothing more than a little saying. And here's the saying. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. That's pretty neat, isn't it? In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Now, what's all that mumbo-jumbo about? Well, gang, first of all, in the essentials of the Christian faith, we have all got to be on the same page. In the non-essentials, and there's bunches of them, there's a lot of liberty within Christianity to to disagree over the non-essentials. But in all things, all of our doctrinal positions, we must hold them in charity or in love. That's what he's saying. But guys, up to this essential thing, there are only three of them. There are only three essentials. Here they are. The doctrine of the Trinity, that God exists in three persons. Uh, the doctrine of Christology, that is that Jesus Christ was both fully man, fully God, all in the same package, all in the same person. The third essential is salvation by grace through faith alone. That's an essential. <laughs> Guys, we can afford to disagree about a lot of stuff. Um, baptism, eschatology, predestination. Those are all non-essentials. But when it comes to this doctrine of justification by faith, salvation by grace through faith alone, that's an essential. And you remember last week, I said this last week, you, you saw that. In, in Paul's tirade uh, against Peter in Galatians chapter 2, remember? He and, he and Peter fight over this thing. 
And he says, um, he says in chapter one, if any man brings another gospel other than the one that I brought to you, let him be accursed. And, and I made the point last week. All I was trying to say is we can, you can talk all, as much as you want to about whether that was charitable or nice or not loving. You can talk as much as you want to about that. The issue, the point that he's making is don't you dare tamper with the gospel because there's only one of them. There's only one of them. It's an essential, ladies and gentlemen. And, and very honestly, the, the world, the, the 21st century modern mind hates to hear us talk like that. They hate that kind of claim that we make in, in Christianity, that there's only one of those gospels, right? That exclusive thing, you know? They, they, they can't stand that and, 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 and they lump us into that big category of fundamentalists. Fundamentalists, you know, they're the reason for all of the world's global conflicts. Those, those fundamentalists, those religious fundamentalists. And, and I understand the point they're making. But guys, um, you, you got to understand that, that the kind of fundamentalist that you are depends on the kind of fundamentals that you believe. For example... Kill the infidels. That's a fundamental. Love your enemy. That's another fundamental. But if you believe kill your infidels, you're going to be one kind of fundamentalist, aren't you? If you believe this other, love your enemies, it, it makes you a different kind of fundamentalist. All I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is what we're talking about, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, is an essential. Okay? And and one of the things that I hope to accomplish this morning is to try and show you why that is so opposed. And in fact, I'll, I'll even use this word, why it is so hated. And then the other thing that I want to do is to show you uh, the heart and soul of the gospel. All right? Uh, so why is the gospel so opposed? That's the, my first point. The other one is, what is the heart and the soul of the gospel? Or what is the heart and the soul of justification by faith? Those are the two things we're going to do this morning. Okay? First of all, why is the gospel so hated and opposed? All right, guys. Stay with me. Every error regarding the doctrine of justification by faith that man has ever invented (laughs) flows out of a failure to understand how sin has affected me. Did you get that? Every error that associated with this doctrine of justification by faith alone that, that, that people have ever invented over the course of human history is a result. Every error is a result of a failure to understand the, the, the impact that sin has made on me. Let me say it differently. To understand the doctrine of, to understand the gospel, to understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you must begin with a with a robust 
grasp of the ravages of sin, the, the ravages of sin on me, you. You know, guys, um, what is what is sin? Um, there, there are those who are telling us that that's an antiquated concept, that we ought to do away with it. It's um, it, The word needs to be retired. Let's forget the whole idea. I'm not one of those, but they do exist. What is sin? Well, sin is, is, you know, it's when I do a bad thing. Well, guys, that's that's helpful, but that's not how the Bible does that. The Bible doesn't start with what you did. The Bible starts, always it starts it always starts with God. And so when it gets ready to define sin, it, it defines sin in, in terms of what I've done with and what I've done to God. Now, as, as a principle, um, Jesus puts it this way. He says, um, um, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Do you see that? Do you get that? What is Jesus saying? He says, and listen, the only people who go to the doctor are the people who know they're sick. The only people who are interested in hearing anything about a gospel message are people who've come to the place where they realize, you know, I got a problem. Sin has ravaged me. But if you've never realized that, nobody goes to the doctor. Now, that's, that's the principle stated, but it's illustrated in this parable that I read to you this morning. The parable, a famous parable, the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Gang, you, you see the parable, you heard me read it. Fundamentally, the reason that modern man is so opposed to the Christian gospel is because he sees himself like the Pharisee saw himself. You get that. The reason there's such a fence with the Christian gospel is because modern man sees himself like this Pharisee saw himself. He sees himself as, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm glad I'm not as bad as that extortioner. I'm no Bernie Madoff. I don't, I'm not doing what they've done, and I've been somewhat faithful to my wife. And so, you know, I'm just glad I'm not that bad. Said differently. The reason that the modern man so hates the gospel is because the gospel removes any possibility of a works salvation, a self-salvation, like this Pharisee. Um, this Pharisee is very confident in, in who he is and his standing because he is proud of what he is and what he has done. And the only person that can think like that, ladies and gentlemen, is a person who has not yet seen what impact sin has had on them. You get that. Jesus tells this parable 
to help us see that human efforts and human merits and a, and a self-salvation strategy is not going to work. It's going to leave you exposed and unjustified. It, he even says that in verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen? He tells you in verse 9 what the intent and the purpose of this parable is. He wants to expose a position, a posture, a, a conviction that I don't need a doctor. He, he goes on to say that the one who goes down to his house justified is the one who is overwhelmed with his sense of need. Do you see it, guys? It's a need that has been created by, by an awareness, by an understanding of what sin has done to me. And once I am convinced of that, then I'll talk like this, like verse 13. I'll talk like the tax collector. I'll, I'll, I'll know for sure that my only hope is mercy and grace because there is nothing about me that is, um, that is going to rightly equip me to stand in the presence of God one day. Not my tithing. Not my righteous acts, not my merit. So my self-salvation strategy is not going to work. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why the 21st century modern, people, modern man hates the idea. Because he wants to do something. He wants to contribute. He wants to, he wants to save himself by some kind of performance, some kind of accomplishment, He's just, he thinks like this man who is called a Pharisee here. I'm not saying he's a Pharisee. I'm saying he thinks like a Pharisee. The offer of, of something free that I didn't work for, that I didn't merit, a free salvation, is, is just, it's quite unappealing to me. But can you understand the reason that it's unappealing? It's unappealing, yes, but it's unappealing because he has never seen what sin has done to him. It has never gripped me that I have absolutely nothing to lay before God and to be proud of. The reason that I attempt to save myself is because I don't know that I'm sick. When I figure that out, then I'm going to talk differently. I'm going to talk like this tax collector. You know, guys, let, let, me, let me try to explain it another way. The Apostle Paul is the one who is known as the great teacher of the doctrine of justification by faith. He, he teaches it with such precision. And all three of these books say that. He teaches it in the, in the book of Romans. 
Paul is the great teacher of the doctrine of justification by faith. Okay? Now, let's, let's, let's consider for a moment Paul's strategy in teaching it. You know how he does it? He doesn't even get to the subject until chapter 4. He begins to explain the doctrine of justification by faith in chapter 4. You know what he does for the first three chapters? I bet you can guess. He spends three chapters explaining what sin has done. Before he ever comes to tell you what the, what the, what the gospel is that, and explains its beautiful provisions, he spends three chapters trying to explain to people what sin has done to us. Guys, all I'm saying is the only people to whom this doctrine of justification by faith, to whom the gospel is beautiful, to whom the gospel is music to their ears, is somebody like this tax collector who says this. I'm not about to get close. I'm not about to lift up my eyes to heaven. The only thing that I can do is beat my breast and say, God, God, God be merciful to me. And he talks like that because he understands what sin has done to him. My sin has rendered any hope of a self-salvation strategy unthinkable. Did you get that? That is, because of what sin has done to me, the possibility of saving myself is unthinkable. It's undiscussable. It's, it's voided. Any shred of righteousness that I thought I might have had will be swallowed up and disappear once I understand how sin has ravaged me. So here's what I'm saying, guys. All those wacky views of justification and all that and all that offense and opposition to the gospel is explained like this. Those who hold such positions have never understood what sin has done to them. What sin has done to us. They think like this Pharisee who stands in the front of the audience and says, <laughs> So guys, um, why does the world so hate it? Well, they hate it because it exposes a self-salvation strategy, yes. But the reason that they hate it is because Fundamentally, they have never seen that sin has ruined them. Now, that that was the first half. Here's the second half. Um, Okay, assuming for a moment that I've got that down. That is, I've got this mindset of the tax collector, the one in verse 13. Assuming for a moment that I've got that down, that that's my mindset, then, ladies and gentlemen, I've got some good news for you. How will I ever be able to stand in the presence of God? 
That's what the gospel addresses. And that's what the doctrine of justification by faith addresses. What is the heart and the soul of the doctrine of justification by faith? In the, in the words of Martin Luther, the heart and soul of the doctrine of justification by faith is what he called an alien righteousness. You get that? And by alien, he means a righteousness that is not mine. Um, knowing that I have not one shred of righteousness of my own, the gospel announces that God has provided one. Here's another Latin phrase for you. Extra nos, which means apart from me. The heart and soul of the gospel is the declaration that there is a righteousness that is not mine, apart from me, available to me. A righteousness that meets all of God's requirements, both positively and negatively. Now, wait a minute, Jimmy. Positively and negatively. What do you you mean by that? Okay. Stay with me. Let's talk about negatively first. As you well know, ladies and gentlemen, God has made very clear that he expects obedience, a perfect obedience from me. Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He expects a perfect obedience from me and, oops, I am far from perfect. I, I, I have failed in more ways than we can count. Um, okay. Um, that's my first problem. God has standards that I broke. Consequently, I've got a debt, a debt that I owe that I can't pay. That's just my first problem. I got another problem. And I, that's my first one. That's a real problem, but I, I, I've got another problem. My first problem is I've got a debt that I cannot pay because I have failed to obey the standard that God has established. And, and, and consequently, that must be punished. That's my first problem. But here's my second problem. Even if my debt was paid and my sin was punished, I am still missing the, the perfection that is needed for me to stand in his presence. Oh yeah, my, my sin was, was paid for, but, but I still cannot offer him what he expected from me. There is this inexcusable gap between his perfection and my performance. So what I need is somebody, first of all, to pay my debt for my violations. That's first. And then I need I need somebody to live for me in such a way that all of God's standards are met. And the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is this. It tells me that that exact remedy is available and is offered to me freely as a gift. The remedy, of course is found in the righteousness, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Gang, if you were here last week, do you remember that I said that the gospel, first of all, first and foremost, is an announcement? It is an announcement. 
Okay. Hear ye, hear ye. Gang, this is not an announcement about what you need to do. It is an announcement about what has been done for you already by God. First of all, the life that God demanded and expected out of me was lived by Christ for me, meeting every expectation, obeying every law, and meeting every standard that God has established. Secondly, the the punishment that my sin deserves, he got, that is, Jesus got by dying on the cross for me. So, God's positive demands for a perfect life and his negative demands that sin be punished are both met and are both performed with perfection by Christ. That's the announcement. <laughs> there is a there is a cherry on the top and it's this all of that all of that righteousness both positively and negatively that has been performed by Christ becomes mine it becomes mine when i cease this foolish Attempt at saving myself by my merit. All of that righteousness becomes mine when I give up this this outlandish self-salvation strategy I have and put my whole hope of salvation in Christ And in Christ alone. Don't mess with that. Don't try to add something to it. Don't try to say Christ, comma. Because that's just another self-salvation strategy. All of the righteousness that God requires and expects of me, he has made available to me in all that Christ has done. And that becomes mine. When I give up this self-salvation strategy and I reach out and grab hold of the offer of free salvation that God has offered me. When I reach out, like this guy here in this tax collector in verse, when I reach out with the hand of a beggar and I lay hold of the gift of a king, Christ's righteousness becomes mine. 
In theological circles, ladies and gentlemen, his righteousness is imputed. It's a great word. His righteousness is imputed to me. That is, I get credit for Christ's life and his death by renouncing all of this foolishness about how righteous I am and, and what I have done and what I haven't done and what I've avoided and, and, and what I've given and, 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 and what I added. When I come to the place where I realize, what foolishness is that? Then, I lay hold of what Christ has, um, has done for me. I go out and grab an alien righteousness. The one that doesn't belong to me, but can become, can become mine. Guys, in terms of your salvation, you must, you must choose between, here, here's your choices. You must choose between Christ and works, or you must choose between a God-provided salvation or one that I'm trying to perform and accomplish on my own, or you must choose between being a Pharisee or a tax collector. You can't have it both ways. Folks, the only righteousness that enables me to stand in God's presence is an alien righteousness. A righteousness that is not mine. A righteousness that is given to me. The righteousness of Christ put into my account by a God who himself has provided everything that this sinner or any other sinner would ever need. And he provided it all in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. He lived the life that I was supposed to live and then died the death that I was supposed to die. And that all becomes mine. That righteousness becomes mine when I give up this attempt to save myself by my own performance. There it is. The heart and soul of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, the heart and soul of the doctrine of justification by faith, it's all wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ offered to us. Take it. Take him now. Give up this foolishness about How good you are. Reach out with the hand of a beggar to lay hold of a gift of a king. And then go down to your house. Justify. Our Father, I, I do pray that you have made that clear or that I have, that you have used me to make it clear. If I've clouded that image, that picture, if I've mucked it up, would you, would you straighten it out?
would you um, would you clarify where I didn't do a good enough job? But Lord, once it is clear, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, cause people to see that it is utter foolishness to think that I have merit enough that I can save myself. Lord, what we need, because of what sin has done for us, to us, what we need is what you've provided in Christ Jesus, and we take it all over again in all of its beauty. This gospel, O oh God, is music to our sinful ears. Thank you for this great provision. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.